Please open your Bibles with me to the book of the Psalms. Book of the Psalms. This morning we'll be looking at Psalm 60. Psalm 60. Now this is a Psalm of David. And in it he sets forth the gospel of how it is that God has healed the breach that was made between God and man. Indeed, beloved, for as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, by Adam's rebellion that breach was made between God and man. Nevertheless, by the obedience of one, the God-man, our Lord Jesus Christ, shall many be made righteous. David begins there in verse 1. O God, Thou hast cast us off, Thou hast scattered us, Thou hast been displeased. O turn Thyself to us again, Thou hast made the earth to tremble, Thou hast broken it, heal the breaches thereof, for it shaketh. In the opening of this psalm, David sets forth the utter devastation that's been caused by Adam's sin. You see, because of Adam's sin, God has cast man off. And those words, cast off, means rejected, to be removed afar off. God has rejected men in their sin. The holy God will never accept man coming to him as we are, apart from Christ, and yet in our sin. You see, God has rejected man and has removed men far off from him because of their sin. So far has man's sin removed himself from God that it's impossible for us to find our way back to God. Indeed, it's impossible for you and me to come back to God left to ourself. That's the devastation that's been caused by our sin. And David says God has scattered men because of their sin. Now, scattered means to break apart, to be smashed down upon the earth, and, and he smashed men into smithereens and scattered them everywhere in his anger. David says, your God is displeased because of sin. Now, when we use the word displeased, it makes it sound like we're just a little bit perturbed. Actually, that word David uses means is enraged. You see, our sin makes God enraged with a hot white fury, his wrath against sin. You see, my friend, God does not think that we're cute, you know, you know, doing the best we can, even though it falls short. God is not humored by that in the least. Indeed, he's angry with the wicked every day. David says, God's judgment is so severe it's so fearfully awful that it's made the earth to tremble. Just like an earthquake, as, as though God had just reached down and grabbed a hold of the earth and just shook it by the scruff of its neck. You see, this earth has been shaken. All the foundations of anything that we hope in that's based on this earth have been shaken and fallen apart, just crumbled into ruins. And that's what the word breaches means in verse 2. You see, the word breaches can be rendered with words that we typically associate with the effect of sin. The word breaches means 
to ruin. It means destruction. It means to bruise. Now, this breach is not just speaking here directly about the gap that's caused between God and men because of sin, though most certainly that gap, that gap does exist. But this word breaches means something even worse than a mere gap between God and men. You see, it means that sin has ruined the relationship between God and man. Man cannot come back to God as we are because we're ruined in sin beyond repair. And my friend, something that's ruined can't be repaired. The only thing it's good for is to be thrown away and to get a new one. You see, sin has caused destruction that's left us, spiritually speaking, dead. Dead in sins and trespasses. Without any spiritual life. And no way to get life because we're, we're dead. If you uh, keep your place there in Psalm 60 and look over there in Jeremiah chapter 30. Jeremiah chapter 30. This word, uh, breaches, can also be rendered bruised. Sin has left us bruised. Now, don't be mistaken to thinking that that means the bruise will heal in time. That's not the kind of bruise he's talking about here. In Jeremiah chapter 30, Jeremiah tells us what this, what this is in verse 12. For thus saith the Lord... Thy bruise is incurable, and thy wound is grievous. There is none to plead thy cause, that thou mayest be bound up. Thou hast no healing medicines. All thy lovers have forgotten thee. They seek thee not, for I have wounded thee with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one, for the multitude of thine iniquity, because thy sins were increased. Why criest thou for thine affliction? Thy sorrow is incurable for the multitude of thine iniquity, because thy sins were increased. I have done these things unto thee. Your sorrow and your bruise is incurable. Now this bruise is a bruise that's been left by the mark of God's justice. Isaiah told us about it in Isaiah chapter 1. He says there in Isaiah... Chapter 1, many of you are familiar with this portion. Indeed, it's our testimony. He says there in verse 6, From the sole of the foot, even under the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. That is the disgusting description of us spiritually by nature. This is the bruise, the stripes that caused, that are caused by, uh, by way of beating, the beating of God's justice, which always brings forth death. God has told us plainly the, the condition that we're in. In verse 3 in Psalm 60, Thou hast showed thy people hard things. Thou hast made us to drink the wine of astonishment. Now, that word, uh, this expression, rather, hard things, means severe. Hard things, severe things. Severe 
stubborn truths. It also has a reference to the word stubborn. Brother Henry preached a message on six stubborn statements. This is an outline you can find. It's, It's a great message. I highly recommend you go listen to it. And Brother Henry Mahan preached these six stubborn statements where he set forth six blessed facts of the gospel that cannot be changed. Let me briefly give you his outline. Stubborn statement number one. God is sovereign in all things, or he's not sovereign at all. And beloved, our God reigneth. Stubborn statement number two. In the fall, man died spiritually, so he's without hope, without God, and without Christ, or he's not dead at all. You see, it's got to be one or the other. Stubborn statement number three. God elected a people unto salvation by the choice of his sovereign will, or he didn't choose anyone, and salvation is totally in the hands of the creature. You see, it's one or the other. And you who have ears to hear, listen to what our Lord declares. This is our gospel, beloved. Our Lord declares, Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And just as his disciples did murmur, His people don't murmur at that. We rejoice at that. We know if it weren't for the blessed fact that God first loved us, we would never have loved him. Indeed, we would not love him now. You see, Christ either effectually, and this is the other statement, statement number four, Christ either effectually, eternally saved the elect for whom he died, or his death saved no one. Now, that's a stubborn statement. And our Lord declares, beloved, And I love repeating these declarations of our Lord. Every time we listen in to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, every time we are given the the great privilege, the undeserved gift it is to to hear him and listen to him, we hear of his sovereign uh, power, how he is a sovereign, successful Savior. And he says this, Of all which my Father hath given me, (laughs) I shall lose nothing. You know what that means, beloved? It means that all that the Father gave to His Son to save in covenant agreement, He shall save in covenant engagement as our Lord and God, Jesus Christ, as our Savior. Number five, the Holy Spirit either effectually, powerfully regenerates the elect in the new birth and gives them repentance toward God in faith in Christ Jesus, or He merely extends an offer to all men. Well, what does our Lord say? Does he say, I offer eternal life? Is that the language of our Lord? His language is vitally important. I pray you love his words because he said, he who loves me keeps my sayings. If you hear a man going on and on about God's offering everlasting life, um, fearfully I say, you're listening to someone who's not heard the voice of my Lord. If someone presents the gospel as though it were an offer, for you to accept or reject. God give you grace to hear the truth. Our Lord says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Undeservedly, he gives life to damned dirty dogs like you and me when we didn't even know we were dead. (laughs) When we didn't even know we were dead. Just like that. (laughs) 
My friend, the reason why our Lord must give us life is because we're dead. And the only way we have life is if the Spirit gives it to us in conversion. Our Lord declares, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now that's a stubborn statement, but that's true. It's one or the other. We either regenerate ourselves, and that's not true, or the Spirit's going to do it. Indeed, the Spirit must do it if we're to be saved. Number six, the elect of God will be be preserved by His grace, or no one will persevere to the end. Because if we're left to ourselves, if we're left to ourselves, we will eventually fall as all creatures. Those are six stubborn statements. And that applies to every truth that adorns the doctrine of the gospel. Every blessed truth in the gospel is stubborn. You see, the gospel can't be changed. The gospel can't be debated. For every truth that adorns the doctrine of Christ is severe. It's one or the other. God is holy. That's what his word says. And God's holiness is severe. It's absolute holiness. God cannot change his holy requirement. God's holy. He can only accept perfect holiness. And that puts you and me to where we need his grace. Does it not? That puts you and me where we need his healing. Because man by nature is dead in sin. When Adam fell, we died. We didn't just stub our toe. We didn't just skin our knee. No, no. Rather, we died and we have no hope for salvation in of ourselves. For God's justice is severe. It's inflexible. God must punish sin. Even when God saves somebody, he's got to punish their sin. He must. Man is totally dependent on Christ to save us. And there's no hint of salvation outside of the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Man has no righteousness at all. The only righteousness we, ha- we can have is by the obedience of Christ, without you and me adding anything to it. Now that's severe. That's inflexible. That truth cannot be altered. Now, if you would, turn with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. You see, man by nature hears these blessed truths of the gospel and we're astonished by them. It's like we've drunk what David called here the wine of astonishment when we hear these things. And if God leaves us to ourselves, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll do exactly what these people mentioned in John chapter 6 did. We'll just leave him. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 53. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, And I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which come down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. And verse 59, And these things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is a hard saying. 
who can hear it? This is a hard saying. Now you who believe what our Lord declared here, there is the plain gospel of God's grace. Salvation in union with Christ. Him dying for us and us having union with Him. But to those rebels, they said, this is a hard saying. They stumbled back. They reeled from it. And they left. And that's what all of us would do should God leave us to ourselves. That's what all of us would do if God should leave us to ourselves. We'll leave saying, this is a hard saying. I don't like that. And we just go off making this distance between us and God even greater because we will not submit to his word. Now back to our text. David asks a question here. David asks God to turn himself back to us again. See at the end of verse 1. Oh, turn thyself to us again. Now, to a sinner in trouble, to a sinner that understands this breach that's been caused between us and God, that gives us a glimmer of hope, does it not? Is there any way that'll happen, that God will turn himself back to his people? Is there any way that we can be brought back to God? Is there any way that this breach can be healed? Is there any hope of salvation? Is there any hope of curing this incurable disease, this incurable disease of our sin? Well, there most certainly is. Here's another stubborn statement of the gospel. There is hope of salvation for a sinner. But now listen to me. If you are to be saved, God's going to have to do all the saving. God is going to have to do all the work in it. You see, God's going to have to do all the work that's necessary to save his people from their sin. God's going to have to come where they are because they can't come to him. God's going to have to come where they are, and he's going to have to put his hand upon me. He's got to pull them out of the muck and the mire. He's going to have to heal all of their diseases. He's got to cleanse them in his blood and bring them back into fellowship with the Father. He's got to take them from where they are and take them to his Father and make them accepted in his sight. And my friend, he's going to have to do it all, all of it, because he's the only one capable of doing it. For you who hear the voice of our Lord, the, the language is unmistakable. When speaking about salvation, what does our Lord tell us? With man, it is impossible. Our only hope is to be saved by God through the gospel of his Son. You see, if God is going to restore this breach, God is going to have to turn himself back to his people. David asks, Oh God, will you? Will you turn yourself to us again? You see, beloved, since God has turned to us in salvation, he can't turn to us in justice, can he? You see, justice is going to have to be satisfied somewhere else. Somewhere else other than you and me, beloved believing sinner. He's going to have to turn to us, but not in justice, but rather in mercy. In mercy. Because, beloved, that's the only way a sinner wants God to deal with us. Now, turn over to uh, just a few pages to the right. Psalm 86. Psalm 86. 
You see, my friend, we need God to turn to us in mercy. And thanks being to God, He's promised to do that for His people. Psalm 86, verse 16. O oh, turn unto me and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant and save the son of thine handmaid. O oh, turn thou unto me and have mercy. Because that's the only way that we can be saved. You see, we're the ones who left God in Adam. God didn't leave us, and so we're the ones who left God because of our sin. And we created this great distance between us and God that only He can cross. If we're going to come back to God, God's got to be the one to cross that distance and come to where we are. And beloved, that's exactly what He's done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we were removed far from God in Adam's disobedience, were we not? And God's people are brought back to him in the obedience of Christ, the second Adam. You see, a man is the one who caused this breach. A man is the one that caused this problem. And a man is the one who's going to come and redeem it. But this one, this man, has got to be the God-man. You see, the Son of God has come in human flesh. He's come to where we are because God's turned back to his people in mercy and grace. Now, remember, we've got this problem with God's justice. God is displeased with sin. He's enraged at it. And there's only one way God's holy anger can be appeased. There's got to be a sacrifice. Justice must be met in the death of a sacrifice that can satisfy his justice. And that's exactly why Christ came to this earth in our flesh. He came where we are, in our flesh, so he could be the substitute for his people. So our Lord could take that sin that made God so angry and take it away from his people and put it on himself. And he did. He took it to himself and then he suffered and then he died as a substitute for his people to satisfy God's wrath. So now God can turn to his people in mercy because his anger, his justice has been satisfied in the sacrifice of his beloved, well-pleasing son. You see, Christ has come where we are, and that enables his people to say with our Lord, look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. David asks, God, will you turn yourself to us again? And God said, I'll do more than that. I'll come to where you are and save you. Our redemption has drawn nigh because Christ came to his people. And then if our breach, that breach that we caused by our sin, is going to be repaired, God's going to have to rebuild the ruin of our nature. And that's one of the definitions of this word breaches. It's a ruin. Sin has ruined our nature. It's made us good for nothing. We can't be fixed up. It's not like God is going to put some light and, and some life into this flesh. That would be fixing up the flesh. You see, we're ruined. We can't be fixed up. We can't be repaired. So this ruin, this breach is going to be taken away. We've got to be made new. Look with me in Isaiah chapter 58. You see, this is exactly what God's done for His people in Christ. He's made them new. He's taken those waste places and rebuilt them, made them new. Isaiah chapter 58, 
Verse 12. And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places. Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of paths to dwell in. You see, Christ has come to be the repairer of the breach, to build his people up and make them new. And I'll tell you how he does it. He does it through the preaching of the gospel. God's word declares in Ephesians, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. You see, this is how God saves a sinner. The Holy Spirit comes and he makes that sinner to be born again, born from above. He builds them up. He builds them on Christ, put upon that foundation, that solid rock, so that we have union with Christ. And beloved, we're built on Christ. We can never be ruined again because the foundation is perfect. The building is perfect because it's built on His perfect righteousness. It's cleansed in His blood and it's all held together with a bond of His love so it'll never be ruined again. You see, that's how He builds up the ruin is by making His people to be born again. But then there's another definition of this word breach. If the breach is going to be healed, that breach has to be that has been caused by our sin, God must heal us. You see, when David asks God to heal the breaches, that word heal means much more than repair. Rather, it means make whole. And beloved, that's what Christ has done for his people. You see, by nature, we're full of wounds, bruises, and putrefying sores that haven't been closed up or mollified by any ointment. And then Christ comes to his people. He's the good Samaritan. He finds his people dead down there in the ditch, and he heals their sin sickness. He pours in the oil of his spirit. He pours in the wine of his blood. He cleanses them by the blood of his sacrifice. That's exactly what Isaiah said. Beloved, with his stripes, we are healed. You see, because he took our place he took those stripes of God's justice. And so by his stripes, by the suffering of his sacrifice, by his sin-atoning death, you're healed. Christ has healed the breach by coming where we are and taking our sickness and giving us his health. Beloved, by his stripes, you're healed. He washed us in his blood and cleansed us from all sin. So now there's no more reason for a breach between us and God because Christ has healed it. But it was healed because God had to turn himself to us first, did he not? You see, my friend, God has to do all the work. But here's the second thing. Now, while God must turn himself to us, but if this breach is to be repaired, we've got to be turned back to God as well. That's just so. You see, if this breach is going to be repaired, we've got to be brought to God. Now hold your place uh, there in Psalm 60. 
will be coming back there. And look over there in First Peter. First Peter chapter 3. See, this is what Christ has come and done for His people. God has turned Himself back to us, and then He sent His Son to bring His people back to Him. And 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the, the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. You see, Christ didn't offer Himself as a sacrifice for sin, hoping that somebody might come to God. No, my friend, He died for His people, to bring His people to God. And I tell you how He does it. How is it that God brings a believing sinner like you and a believing sinner like me to Himself? How does He do it? It's through the preaching of the gospel. It's through the preaching of Christ. Look back at verse 4 in our text. Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. Now God brings His people back to Him through the preaching of Christ. That's what this banner represents. It represents holding up Christ in the preaching of the gospel. I don't have this, this reference in my notes, but I love this portion. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You turn there with me. This is the ministry of Christ. This is this ministry that He's put us into, beloved. The preaching of the glorious gospel of our never-failing Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, in verse 21. Actually, I'll pick up reading there in verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. That's how He brings a believing sinner like you and a believing sinner like me to Himself through the preaching of the glorious gospel of His Son. You see, beloved, He's given us this banner that it may be displayed. He didn't give us this banner to, to take the edges off of it or to keep people from seeing what it really says so He might trick somebody into staying. That's not it. Rather, He's given us this banner that it be displayed, that the gospel be preached clearly, unmistakably. You see, God's given us this great gift of the gospel, and we must preach it clearly. Our trumpet must give a certain sound. You see, we must clearly preach Christ because this is the way, the means that God uses to bring His people to Himself. Now, there's two things about this banner. Number one, when we read about a banner like this, uh, many of you will remember uh, Exodus chapter 17. Remember, Israel had come out of Egypt and Amalek 
came and attacked Israel there in the wilderness. And Joshua took men and went out and fought with Amalek, and Moses went to the top of a hill to watch the battle. And when Moses held his hands up with his rod in his hand, Joshua prevailed. Joshua would win the battle. But Moses' arms got tired, and so he had to let them down to rest. And when he let his arms down, Amalek prevailed. So Aaron and Hur sat Moses down on a stone. And Aaron went to the one side of Moses and Hur to the other side so they could hold Moses' hands up. And they kept holding his hands up until Joshua won the battle and wiped out the enemy. Moses called the name of the place Jehovah Nissi, the Lord, our banner. And beloved, this is what we do in the preaching of the gospel. When Christ, our banner, is lifted up in preaching, God's people will always prevail. Always. Because the preaching of Christ is exactly what every one of us need. Indeed, one thing is needful, beloved, and that's Christ. Is there a lost sinner here this morning? I'll tell you how you're going to overcome. You're going to overcome through Christ the Savior. Oh, that we would preach Christ like we ought. Oh, that the banner be lifted up high in this place and in this city. How that sinners overcome. It's through the preaching of Christ. How that we would hear the Lord say to every one of us personally who love him, I am with thee, and no man shall sit on thee to hurt thee. For I have many people. I have much people in this city. You who believe, be encouraged in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's the preaching of Christ that feeds the heart. It's the preaching of Christ that comforts and strengthens the soul. We'll prevail through every trial, every trouble, every difficulty if Christ is exalted because he's exactly what we need. He's the banner. Now look over there with me in Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah tells us another thing about this banner. When Christ is lifted up in preaching, when Christ is lifted up in preaching, His blessed person and His finished saving work, we see here Isaiah setting forth what else happens. When Christ is lifted up in preaching, His people come back to Him. He said before He went to the cross, If I be lifted up from the earth... I'll draw all unto me. I'll draw all my people unto me if I be lifted up from the earth. You see, beloved, if we preach Christ and Him crucified, if we lift Him up and just preach Christ, His people will come. And Isaiah tells us why. Isaiah chapter 5, verse 26. And He will lift up an ensign. That word ensign is a banner. He'll lift up a banner to the nations from far and will hiss unto them. And that word hiss is whistle. He'll whistle unto them from the end of the earth, and behold, they shall come with speed swiftly. Beloved, when Christ is lifted up in the preaching of the gospel and God whistles, suddenly you just don't hear the voice of a man. Rather, God whistles, and like his dog, you come swiftly. You come with speed swiftly unto Him. Beloved, we come to God 
We come to Christ because God whistles and calls us through the preaching of the gospel, and we come. You see, the only way a man's heart is going to be turned to God, well, there's just one way. It's through the preaching of the gospel. Look at Psalm 80. Psalm 80. If God will turn us, we will turn to Him. Psalm 80, verse 3. I was saying earlier in the Sunday class how I love all the places where we read the word shall. (laughs) Not only do we read it in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 21. Remember there where the angel of the Lord came to Joseph and Joseph is all worried about his uh, fiancée um, finding her pregnant. He was thinking about canceling the, the wedding. And the angel of the Lord said to Joseph, Fear not to take Mary for your wife, for what's conceived in her womb is conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. And you shall call his name Jesus, for he, not might, not that he's going to try to, but he shall save his people from their sins. And uh, this is a word that our brother David liked a great deal. He's going to be repeating it throughout here. I don't know if David wrote this psalm, but look there in verse 3. I just love all these shouts. <laughs> Maybe it'll stick the third time we hear it. <laughs> Maybe the Lord will stick it in your heart and you'll rest. Take your eyes off yourself, beloved. All of your salvation, all of the... The doing of it and dying of it was accomplished by our Lord and God, Jesus Christ. God demands perfect payment for your sin. We have that through his blood. The law demands perfect performance of the law, and we have that with his righteousness. We lack nothing. Everything we need to be saved, beloved, he has truly and completely accomplished it for us through his doing and dying. Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. If he'll turn us, we'll be saved. Look at verse 7. Turn us again, O God of hosts, and cause thy face to shine, and we shall be saved. Verse 19. Turn us again, O Lord God of hosts, cause thy face to shine. Where is it going to shine? It's going to shine in the face of our Lord and God, Jesus Christ. And we shall be saved. O Lord God, if you'll come to us and turn us, we'll be saved. You see, he's got to be the one to turn us and bring us to him. Jeremiah said in Lamentations chapter 5, verse 21, Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. If the Lord will turn us to him, we'll turn to him never to turn back. You see, this is the banner of Christ lifted up in the preaching of the gospel. But this banner of Christ that we lift up in preaching that draws sinners to God is a banner of love. Beloved, the gospel must be preached in love. It has to be. In love for God, in love for Him, in love for His people, that we want them to be fed, we want them to be comforted, and we want them to grow. We want them to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Savior and in love for His sheep. Not just those who are found, not just those who are found, but His lost sheep, that they might know the Savior. And oh, how we want people to know the Savior. You see, the gospel can only be preached in love. When a man starts beating folks up with the gospel, 
he's not preaching the gospel. I mean, the man might have some doctrine, but he's not preaching the gospel. For you see, the gospel must be preached in love, because this banner is a banner of love. Now, if you would look at Solomon, Solomon chapter 2, the Song of Solomon chapter 2. You see, nothing will draw a sinner to the Savior more than God's love for sinners in Christ. You can threaten them, and threatening them with punishment won't work. Indeed, actual punishment won't even do it. We read in Revelation how God punishes those rebels and they curse His name. They still won't beg for mercy. So actual punishment won't do it. But I tell you what will. God's sovereign love for sinners. Look here at Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 4. He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. The banner of Christ is the banner of God's love for his people. The Father loved the people. That's why he chose them. And the Son loved those people. That's why he came in their nature and suffered and died to redeem them. The Holy Spirit loves those people. That's why he comes to them, gives them life, faith, and repentance in the new birth and dwells in their hearts. The banner that we preach, beloved, is a banner of love. And God just keeps giving tokens of that love. Look at verse 5. Now, this is speaking here about the bride of Christ. And she says, Stay me with flagons, comfort me with apples, for I am sick of love. Now, apples were tokens of love. God just keeps giving tokens of love for His people. Now, how does He do that? Beloved, He does it through the preaching of the gospel. He doesn't just do it by giving us temporal things and providing for, for us, uh, for the things of this earth. You know, there's been a lot of believers who've been impoverished, who were just persecuted and put to death. So you see, if God's tokens of love is Him just giving His people more stuff, well, that wouldn't make any sense. You see, God's give, God gives tokens of His love for His people by constantly reminding each and every one of us of the gospel of His beloved, well-pleasing Son. He's constantly reminding us of the gospel by the pr constant preaching of Christ who showed His love for His people by coming where they are to redeem them from their sins and God's love for His people makes them love Him right back. The bride here says she's sick of love. It means she's sick in love. Sick in love for Him. Anybody who's ever fallen in love knows about that kind of love. You see, this speaks of the bride's love for Christ. She's so sick in love with Him so that she'll never leave Him. Indeed, she never wants to leave Him. Why would she? Look here at verse 6. Look at this uh, tender embrace He's holding her with. She says, His left hand is under my head, and His right hand doth embrace me. You see, He's holding her in the embrace of His great hands. Of course she doesn't want to leave Him. Of course she's sick with love for Him. He's holding her face to face, tenderly with tender love. And if you look back in our text, it sounds a whole lot like what David is describing in verse 5. He said, 
that thy beloved may be delivered, save with thy right hand and hear me. That thy beloved may be delivered, save with thy right hand and hear me. Reach down and save me with your right hand. Pull me up close to your side and hear me. Beloved, that's how Christ brings his people. He brings them back to God. He comes where they are. He turns me. He gives them a new heart and he holds them in his loving embrace. And not only can they not leave, they never want to. God's got to turn himself to his people and he's going to turn his people back to him. Now, thirdly, this salvation of God's elect, this is a sure salvation because the healing of the breach is permanent. You see, beloved, the Lord Jesus Christ will have all those that the Father gave him to save. Indeed, everyone for whom he died, he will have them gloriously saved and redeemed. Indeed, they're, they're redeemed and he'll, he'll have them. Not one of them is going to be lost. They will be saved. They will be built up in him, never to be made a ruin again. And the flip side of that is this. Every enemy of Christ will be destroyed, never to be raised again. Look what he says in verse 6. God hath spoken in his holiness. I will rejoice. I will divide Shechem and mete out the valley of Sukkoth. Now God has spoken in his holiness. He has spoken how he will pardon the sins of his people by charging their sin to Christ, by making Christ sin for them. He's spoken in holiness how, it's, how it is he's going to give his people eternal life. He's going to do it in holiness our, because Christ, our substitute, died that his people might have life. And God says here, I will rejoice in that. Almighty God rejoices over the redemption of the people that he loves, over having all of them with him. He's not going to sorrow because he's lost one. No, no. Rather, he's going to rejoice because he's got them all. And many are found. I'm looking at a few of them right now. But there are many yet to be found through the preaching of the gospel. He found a rebel like you, didn't he? He found a rebel like me. And so, beloved, I promise you, though they may be now living in a rebel stronghold somewhere, but you mark this down, they're going to be conquered. God's going to divide Shechem and meet out the valley of Sukkoth. He's going to divide Shechem so that it falls. A house divided against itself cannot stand. It must fall. And all those people living in that rebel stronghold, and this was a place of rebel stronghold where David wrote this psalm, God's going to make it fall. You see, all those people that belong to him, they're going to be conquered because they belong to Christ. Conquered by his never-failing, everlasting love. And God will mete out the valley of Sukkoth. He's going to mete it out. He's going to give it to David. And about the time that David wrote this, this was a rebel stronghold. That's where Saul's sons were hiding. That's where they lived. And God said, I know it's a rebel stronghold right now, but I'm going to give it to you, David. You're going to rule over it. And you know, beloved, that's all a picture of Christ Jesus, our Lord, the Son of David. All his people are born rebels. They're living in rebel strongholds, but the gospel is going to go out in power. The gates of hell cannot prevail against it. They're going to be conquered. God's going to have them 
look what he says in verse 7. I'm going to have them because Gilead is mine, Manasseh is mine, Ephraim also is the strength of mine hand, Judah is my lawgiver. Now David is speaking here of the Lord's elect from across the world. You see those regions of Israel that he lists here cover all of Israel, from the north to the south, from the east to the west, it covers it all. And David, he's the king now, he's been anointed king, but Saul still sits on the throne. What's he going to do? Well, David will rule over all of Israel, not just Judah, not just a little part of it. No, rather, he's going to rule over all of Israel. He's God's anointed king. But more importantly, beloved, this is speaking of Christ, the son of David. God has an elect people, spiritual Israel. They're from all over the world, north, south, east, and west. And it may look like they're in enemy territory now, but God's going to have them. None of them are going to be lost because this awful breach between them and God has been healed. It's been repaired by Christ, the Savior of his people, and he will have all of his people. But all of his enemies will be destroyed. Verse 8, Moab is my washpot. Over Edom will I cast out my shoe. Philistia, triumph thou because of me. Now, Moab, he says, will be made my washpot. Moabs uh, or Moabites were rebel idolaters, and these rebels are going to be destroyed. All of them are going to be destroyed unless God saves one of them, like he did Ruth. Ruth was from Moab. She's a Moabitess. But unless God's merciful hand plucks that brand from the burning, they're all going to be destroyed, and they're going to be made the lowest servant. That's what the wash pot means. They're going to be made the lowest servant, washing feet in a wash pot. They're going to be put to shame. And the Edomites, they were the descendants of Esau, who despised God, who despised the birthright. Well, God's going to despise them and make them live on the dunghill of their own filthy works. That's what casting the shoe means. It's just something that you'd throw away, something that you'd throw onto the dunghill. It signified shame. That's just like God saying, I'm going to take them and throw them on the dunghill, for that's all they're good for. Those enemies are all going to be destroyed. But now, right now, as we sit here, every enemy is not destroyed, are they? Not as yet. But we shall see, beloved, on that glorious day, all things put under the feet of Christ. All things. God will help his people and defend his people in the meantime. Look at verse 9. Who will bring me into the strong city? Who will lead me into Edom? Will not thou, O God, which hast cast us off, and thou, O God, which didst not go out with our armies? Give us help from trouble, for vain is the help of man. Through God we shall do violently, for he it is that shall tread down our enemies. Now, all the Edomites are not destroyed as yet. The people of this world, the people in false religion, the idolaters, wherever they're at, they're not all destroyed yet. Well, who's going to protect us from them? I mean, they're all around us, so who's going to protect us from them? David says here, God will. You see, the breach has been repaired. 
He has turned away from us, did he not? But, beloved, he's turned back. He's turned his people back to him. He's not going to let his people go. He's not going to turn away again, for Christ has healed the breach. He took away every reason for the breach to be there. So he's going to hide his beloved people in Christ until he puts down every last enemy. So every time we face one of these things, these difficulties, these trials during this time state, beloved, just look to Christ. Just depend upon him. Don't look for help from men. Don't try to find, you know, well, this man's got some resources and some power and some influence. He can help us. Don't do that, beloved. There's no peace to be found there. I'll show you where there's peace. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 26. I can't recall if we looked at this in our Bible study on Wednesday, if we looked at this last Sunday, but it's worth looking at again. Verse 3. Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. May the Lord grant all of his loved ones here this morning this very thing. That will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. My friend, looking for help from men is vain. Can't count on man. But my friend, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. He will do valiantly. He will win the victory. David says here, we will do valiantly. Well, we'll do valiantly because we're united to him. Who's the captain of our salvation? Who's going to crush every enemy? Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, it's following after him, beloved, that will be valiant. For walking right behind him, we've got nothing, absolutely nothing to fear. Through God, we shall do valiantly. For he, not me, not you, but he it is that shall tread down our enemies. Amen.